Ice with Cougar USA and your host of Building Value. My guest today is Dr. Gavin Dillingham, Vice President of Research, Energy and Air Quality for HARC. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate being here today and look forward to our conversation. Awesome. I'm very excited about this episode. We're going to be talking about HARC and its purpose. Also going to be talking a lot about ESG and net zero carbon and their impact on the built environment. On Building Value, we go behind the scenes of building operations to showcase the people and products that make buildings work and the value they bring to the community. Well, can you just give us a quick update on your current role and a little bit about HARC? Sure. So um, currently I'm leading both our energy group and our air quality group at HARC, and the energy piece focuses mainly on um, decarbonization of our energy systems, um, whether that's building optimization or deployment of microgrids or looking at the transformation of our overall power grid, and then um, also looking at the resilience of our power systems. <coughs> yep. Looking at, um, in this case, trying to better value resilience in, in our microgrids and just in the work we do. So when that becomes part of the financial decision-making process, um, people have a better feel for um, the value they're getting. Sure. For that, so. Yeah, I think that, that resiliency and that, that uh, you know, continuity uh, is, is right. for some it can be very easy to value. Right. If there's like a production process or something, you can easily yeah. see what the Same downtime thing. costs. But for a lot of things, it's a little more intangible. Very, very um, much so. Yeah. So, so to be able to 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 measure that and, and show that, I think, is, is yeah. very valuable. Just a lot of uncertainty around the timing and the likelihood and the duration of these events. And and so kind of getting a better idea of what that looks like um, is key to make people more comfortable with using those kind of resilience metrics. Sure. And, I, you know, our conversation <coughs> last year was, was about the, a lot about resiliency of the power grid in Texas right. after, after the freeze. And so I'm sure that's been a topic that more people are oh, uh, very much, so, yeah. the, much more top of mind this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, very cool. So can you tell us a little bit about HARC and, and what its purpose is? Sure. So HARC's been around now for about 40 years this year. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary. Um, we've been here, you know, in Texas, focusing largely on the Gulf Coast, you know, really working on a variety of sustainability issues, mm -hmm. whether that's air quality, um, water quality, water supply, ecosystem services, and then, as I said, the, the energy side of things. <coughs> we also have been doing a good bit more work on, um, on kind of just kind of climate resilience in general and climate equity and working within low-income communities to help them better prepare for and have access to, you know, say, solar plus storage systems and um, weatherization of these homes. And once again, that really, a lot of that came out of um, the winter storm URI and the impacts that it had on sure. kind of residential um, yeah, neighborhoods and, and the like. So, Yeah, I think that that uh, revealed a lot of, uh, of issues right. in the way that, you know, homes are built here or right. maintained and, and opened a lot of people's eyes to <laughs> what, could, what could go wrong, Very much so, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, well, very cool. Well, I, you know, last year, like I said, we, we talked about uh, the, the bigger picture of, of Texas power and, mm -hmm. and the resiliency right. as a result of that storm. Uh, what we'd like to talk about today is a little bit more kind of forward looking and uh, still related to the energy and, and air and, and but in the kind of terms of net zero carbon right. and, and all of the goals around that and corporate ESG policies. Um, 
what those are all about and ultimately what's the impact to the built environment how is this going to impact commercial buildings and and how people can prepare for it so uh, maybe a good place to start would just be with some definitions or kind of background about uh, these topics. So right. um, I'd say maybe let's start with net zero carbon, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the, the Paris Agreement um, that the U.S. was initially in. Right. And then, then we were out and now we're, we're back, back in. in. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it, it's safe to assume at this point, you know, I think it's 187 countries or something mm-hmm. like that that are Involved. in this agreement. And so I think this is going to be the, the path going forward. So right. what is that? <laughs> that agreement and, and how are we, how, how are people going to be impacted by that net zero carbon goal? Right. So the, the primary focus there is to reduce the amount of carbon and decrease the amount of carbon going into the environment to maintain the overall, you know, earth's temperature at 1.5 degrees or lower. And so that's, that's really driving a lot of these um, activities around, you know, becoming um, carbon neutral or, mm-hmm. you know, net zero goals. And a lot of those are, you know, 2030, 2040, 2050, you know, for example, the city of Houston, when we did their climate action plan, their focus is carbon neutrality by, by 2050 there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really depends on, you know, kind of what industry and what organization you're talking to and what their, you know, what, what's kind of the opportunities for them because ultimately it has to be, uh, for a business, it has to be an economic argument to, to take those types of steps. Sure. And so... The fortunate thing is that there, you know, when you look at the cost of, say, wind and solar and even battery storage, um, it's cost competitive with a lot of the, especially at the grid level for natural gas, uh, you know, compared to natural gas and coal and such. And that's why you see such a significant proliferation of of renewables in ERCOT right mm-hmm. now. And so what you see now companies doing to help get to those net zero goals um, are actual physical purchase, so power purchase agreements of these systems. And supporting the actual development rather than buying RECs or renewable energy credits. Right. Um, and so you're seeing a, a significant growth in that space, especially among corporations. And then <coughs> a lot of the companies we've been talking to are focusing a lot more on just kind of optimizing um, building operations. Um, so yep. they're looking for net zero energy, not kind of not whole building net zero at this point. Because when you get to that, you're looking at the full life cycle of the buildings so right. from sourcing of materials and the building and construction process all the way to operations and such. And um, although HARC, we've we've actually done a life cycle analysis of our building and got pretty close because we were intentional about doing Mm -hmm. that when we built our building. Most buildings have not gone those steps. And so their focus now is what does our operations look like to get to net zero and such. And so so that's going to be Largely, there's still so much opportunity for energy efficiency and just building optimization and yep. continuous commissioning of buildings and knowing how your building's operating because we still we have all these sensors and all this data coming in. There's just a lot of people who just don't know how to actually use it and make decisions around it. And so right. we help companies um, help companies do that. We're working with three different projects now, really helping companies put together like a sustainable facility management plan, strategic energy management, ISO 50001 energy management to, to better identify and use that data um, for them. As um, as we were talking about earlier before we started here, you know, one of our primary focuses is on plug load. You look at mm-hmm. several of the newer commercial buildings around Houston, um, and plug load is the largest energy user there. Not, not the HVAC system, not the lighting system. It's plug load. Yeah, it's really surprising. And, yeah. And so when people don't understand that, it's hard for them to get to the goal they need to get to. Because they're like, where, where is this energy coming from? I've, mm-hmm. you know, done everything I needed to to you know improve my air conditioning system, 
but you know I'm still not getting down to where I need to be and so trying to help people understand you know there's a lot of different components that you need to be looking at and there's ways in which to track it efficiently is, is key right and it you, you mentioned a couple of things that I wanted to, to kind of touch on and, and one of those was that kind of that difference between net zero carbon in terms of the the Paris Agreement and what what the goal is there versus being kind of carbon neutral or that you know the the negative connotation associated with that with that greenwashing so that that transition you talked about of actually purchasing directly right. of the renewable uh, energy in, in that scope two area outside right. of uh, what's happening in the building in scope one so moving to that from the credits and that being more of that shift towards that net zero carbon we're actually trying to reduce as much carbon emissions as you can on the right. uh, scope one two and three of the building and then and then actually doing capture and offset to, to get you over the hump down at the bottom right. versus maybe not making a lot of changes uh, to what you're doing in your operations and buying those credits to right. get you to carbon neutral. So right. very, very different uh, targets. And I think it's good to hear that, that, that we're moving more towards that uh, net zero carbon right. that, that um, and not from that, that carbon neutrality part, that, exactly. part and, of it. And one of the concerns that have been raised is... Um, when you're looking at offsets, where are those being generated from and mm-hmm. who's generating them? And there needs to be better standards put around there, especially when you're looking at natural-based offsets, you know, you, using farmland or forests and mm-hmm. such. As far as, you know, what's the longevity of that piece of land as far as being able to hold ca- you know, hold carbon there? If there's a forest fire, you're essentially lost your offsets there. Or if there's some sort of disturbance to that land, you've lost an offset. And so, you know, seeing it, looking at ways in which you potentially more kind of mechanically based carbon capture and storage, you know, where you're putting it in those deep saline, mm-hmm. you know, aquifers um, is, is, you know, kind of, you know, making sure that we're doing these offsets correctly and making sure they're properly, um, you know, evaluated and the standards are in place to, you know, make sure they're actually real. So. Sure. And the, uh, one of the, the sites that I found in my research was the, the science based targets Institute mm-hmm. and there they have a, a net zero standard and, they're right. kind of putting out some guidance based on uh, different segments and, and industries, and their target shows a 90% reduction in scope one, right? You know, of, of carbon emissions, and then it's that that last piece. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a much smaller piece of the pie. Hopefully, that we're looking at doing these offsets and capture and things I like that so, versus yeah. doing the actual work of of reducing, which is a I mean that's a huge ask, right? Especially yeah. in the existing buildings to go 90% uh, less. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of work to be done to get there. But I think, you know, w- what y'all are doing in helping these buildings optimize or, or plan and do other things is, is part of the path to get there. Oh. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's, and you, you mentioned greenwashing earlier, and that was a big issue is just people start climbing all, claiming all these offsets and wrecks. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if you're really there or not. Um, and sure. so, you know, and it, once again, it goes to you know, efficiencies, if it's, you know, energy efficiency, water conservation, mm-hmm. you know, water fi- use efficiency, material use efficiency, there's just so much work to be done there that we we should be really focusing on that rather than trying to find an easy way of just grabbing some right. credits and taking it, taking advantage of that. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, it's it's more of a shift in kind of the holistic approach of design to the building more so than saying, okay, well, how can I you know, you're going to get to a limit where you say, okay, well, I'm going to pick the most efficient chiller. I want to pick the most efficient lighting or whatever. But right. at some point it's, okay, how are we designing all of this together and, and right. making the most efficient building overall? Right. Right. So. And then you got to operate it efficiently. Sure. Right. <laughs> you can Absolutely. have the most efficient, you know, 
chiller on the planet. And, but if you don't know what you're doing with it, it's yeah. You want to keep your building at 65 <laughs> degrees all the it time. It doesn't really matter. So. <laughs> it's going to, going to drive that energy yeah. up. So, uh, well, the, you know, somewhat related to this in a lot of ways has been, and, and kind of a buzzword I feel like you see a lot is, is ESG, right? Mm-hmm. This environmental, social, and corporate governance, uh, that, that has been, uh, become very popular, especially with larger corporations seeing, a lot of ESG policies, a lot of ESG goals. Um, so, and these are in a lot of ways tied closely to this net zero carbon goal. So um, just, you know, what, what have you seen and kind of how is HARC uh, playing into these ESG policies? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, most of the focus when you look at ESG is, has been on environmental side mm-hmm. of things. So emissions um, reduction, water conservation, any of the kind of potential impacts to emissions and such. Um, and, and then followed by that, there's the governance piece to make sure that you're a good corporate citizen and that you're, you know, have the appropriate controls in place mm-hmm. to make sure that you're, you know, taking steps to be a good steward of kind of your corporate community. And yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the social piece is the area that we're actually getting a lot more questions on and, uh, and where there's the, probably the least amount of development is how do you ensure that the communities and the neighborhoods and kind of the social aspect is really considered within your operation because that's that's much more difficult to quantify maybe a, a economic benefit associated sure. with that. And there's a lot of kind of, well, we've done some tree planting or we, we built some houses or we did, you know, it's that type of stuff where you end up with corporations going in and kind of proposing ideas and and kind of pushing their ideas of this is, we need to do a social thing, so we're going to go do this. And what that turns out doing is you end up with communities that feel like they're getting maybe a bit burnt or not fully participating in that activity or having the opportunity to kind of really shape, you know, this is really what we're needing. We don't, this is nice, but we really need this solved first. And so making sure that corporations are better understanding what's happening within the community and meet the community where they are. And so we're working with a variety of organizations now on how do you make better make that connection and Mm -hmm. looking at what's called um, co-creation or community-based participatory research, where if you are a corporation looking to engage within a community, that community isn't just there for you to you know, say, do this idea, it's the community is talking to the corporation saying, this is what we're looking at, you know, this is what we're needing to do, and having them help kind of design the whole sure. project or the, you know, the, the effort that's going to be underway. And that's where the social piece really needs to come out. Um, there's actually a, we're doing a talk tomorrow, um, and there's a study that came out that's looking at um, how we're going to build out the hydrogen hub in Houston. What is that going to look like? And there's a, what, what I noticed as I was reading through it is it's just talked about increasing demand for hydrogen and building out this infrastructure. And, the, and it talked about creating jobs as the first bullet point. But throughout the you know, 15-point you know, presentation, 15-page presentation, there was no mention of how those jobs are going to be created, how the people around the fence line communities are going to be impacted, how they're going to be engaged. And when you're looking at you know, these kind of efforts these days, you know, especially with the federal government type funding, because that's mm-hmm. where this is going to get funded by, they have a Justice 40 initiative associated with it. And that means that a significant portion of that project needs to be engaged with the community. And it seems like we're still still missing that. And it's Talking like, to we, we them need, instead of with them. We need that piece. We can't be the saviors coming in, swooping in to save them. They're, they've been there. They've done that. They've been burnt too many times. It's like, let us be part of that process. And so when you look at the ESG piece, 
the S part is really still needs a lot of development. And so we've seen a lot of, and I, and I think corporations want to get better at it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I think we're getting more phone calls on that and more having more discussions around that. So. Sure. And I think it kind of goes back to that term, the stakeholders, right? So, I right. mean, you know, a lot of the ESG uh, policies are driven by that stakeholder capitalism mentality or, mm -hmm. or, or approach to running a business right. and that being a, a very, uh, basically the opposite end of the spectrum from uh, the shareholder supremacy or shareholder primacy that right. kind of drove um, the way the companies were ran in you know 80s, 90s, and probably into the 2000s, yep. and yep. basically saying that a company exists sole purpose to generate a profit uh, right. for the owners, and now swinging the other way saying, well, no, a company exists to uh, beyond the purpose of just, or beyond just creating profits, but for a better or higher purpose. And that being to serve it's it's all of its stakeholders and customers, employees, vendors and in the community and right. as a whole. And so I can see now you're moving from a single target to multiple and how that can be uh, a little fuzzy, right? right? To, to, to pick what is the uh, who is the ultimate or what is the ultimate purpose of the company. And so I think you're seeing now some more kind of, uh, I don't know, guidance or, or maybe some boundaries built around this uh, through the, the stakeholder capitalism metrics that came mm -hmm. out through mm -hmm. um, the World Economic Forum. And that's, right. I think it's 21 primary and 30 something uh, secondary metrics that are saying, okay, here's exactly how we can measure these ESG goals right. and policies. And I think that's going to help shape out what you're talking about, but also be able to add either that intangible value or actual economic value. Right. And right. so, you know, I think you're, the more that that gets adopted and it becomes more of like that gap accounting for, for these ESG policies, then it's going to help kind of kind of shore those up. But like we were talking about earlier with the resiliency and that being difficult to measure mm -hmm. um, in talking with a lot of uh, the property managers or building engineers, this actually gives additional ways to show value in the things that they're doing that don't necessarily hit Right. The NOI oh, exactly. directly. So, yeah. so what uh, you know, what I, you mentioned a little bit on on some of the things that y'all are helping on on the social side. Can you talk a little bit about maybe how some of the uh, these ESG policies are are impacting the built environment? Um, yeah, I mean, I think what we did with the with the Hark building um, was very much informed by mm -hmm. the, by by ESG there, um, and you know, f focusing mainly on um, once again, the environmental impact this building is going to have, but then also how is it going to impact the, the employees and the community right. around it? And to make sure that, you know, we don't have a negative impact to our neighbors um, and, and, and the neighbors, whether that's human neighbors or, or animal neighbors, because that's quite a few around here. Yes, there's quite a few. <laughs> and as you saw, as you came in, we have a few feral hog friends right now that oh, we're no. trying to work with. But, um, but it's that, you know, having that social component that ensures that, you know, you have happy employees that are productive. Mm -hmm. um, that safe, yeah. you know, healthy environment exactly. to be in, all those things, sure. Right, right. And the same with the, with the governance side as well is make sure that you're operating an organization that, you know, lives up to these values and standards in a way that, you know, everyone, the employees within there are comfortable to live with and are, are happy to be a part of and, and such. And so... Yeah, I think it, it's driving a lot of how we're thinking about our thinking about our buildings, especially when you think about the E and S side of things. Keeping your employees productive, keeping mm -hmm. your you know maintaining your or reducing your emissions, reducing your overall environmental impact um, is. And and the thing with the E side now is, a lot of this stuff is pretty cost effective to do. It's not 
we're not talking about real, you know, sexy new technologies. A lot of this stuff is, you know, just is out there and available. It's a matter of how you bring the pieces together and sure. how you manage the pieces. And that's what we really tried to do with our, with our building here is trying to demonstrate that. Sure. And I think, like you said before, it was, it was intentional, mm -hmm. right? right. From, from the beginning through that design process, you, you had that goal in mind. And for new construction buildings going forward, it's a lot easier to start at yeah, that point, yeah, right? Yeah. But the the majority of buildings that are going to exist in 2050 right. have already been built, already been built. Sure. <laughs> right? So you have yeah. this huge um, existing building uh, market or, or you know, this huge built environment that is right. going to need to be upgraded or ran more efficiently to, to be able to keep up with these ESG goals, to be able to meet these net zero uh, carbon goals. So is that, uh, you know, are some of the companies that you're working with coming from that side mm -hmm. of the table yeah. and how, how are y'all helping them, you know, get up to speed? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, uh, having a, having an existing building that, you know, la is going to last another, you know, 50 years or so. You know, you look at the the materials that go into that building and maintaining that building for a long period of time and not tearing it down and putting up a brand new mm -hmm. building. It's much more environmentally um, beneficial than, you know, just keep, as we have a tendency to do in Houston, knock things down and build new things back up. <coughs> and so, uh, but, but when you look at, you know, retrofitting these buildings, and we do quite a bit of this kind of work with folks to kind of figure out, you know, how do, you know, how do you prioritize the retrofitting of these buildings? Sure. How do you, you know, how do you, you know, look at these different systems and combine them in ways to where you get the most, you know, beneficial return on investment and help you meet your, meet your goals there. Um, you know, we, you know, as we were talking earlier um, about our building here and how we have, you know, we're net zero and produce most of our power here on site. We've never thought about, you know, disconnecting from the grid. And you run into those conversations where people are like, oh, we can disconnect from the grid when we, you know, bring in all this new, you know, microgrid and solar plus storage and all that. But that's not very practical. And so when sure. we look at, you know, the practicality of what people are trying to, or, or what, you know, of these projects, it is, you know, trying to make sure people are, you know, practical. They understand what, what are the, what are the most likely benefits that they're going to receive from this. Um, make sure that they don't overstep things in many regards, because sometimes people do like to focus on the sexy, fancy things and not focus on building envelope stuff. And right. And then the overall just management of the building, that's just so key. You, you have these buildings that start out as a lead, you know, lead silver, lead gold building. And you look at it a year and it's not even not close there. to that. Right. It's, you know, and so it's, that's one of the key pieces of, if it's a new building or an existing building, you get the right measures put in place, retrofit. But then, you know, it's really about the operations side of things. Sure. I mean, this building could be running horribly, but we focus specifically on making sure that we're, you know, maintaining Energy Star Score 99 and our, you know, kind of our 13.5 EUI. Right. I mean, that's just Very low. what we want to, we, we're, you know, you put the processes in place and it's not, once again, not that hard to do once you kind of get it in place to do it. Right. And to be able to look and see through your energy management system that it's, TVs being left on or right. coffee makers or ice machines, those sort of things that are driving up your, your daily usage, right. you definitely are <laughs> managing the building in a way where you're getting close to that net zero. Right. Uh, right. So it was very impressive to, to see that, not only how the building was designed, but how y'all are uh, running it to be able to, to sure. keep it at that level. Right. And so, you know, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that uh, I thought were really interesting, that the idea that 
or, or that it's common in Houston to knock things down and rebuild them. And I, I definitely see that. But one of the projects that uh, didn't take that path recently that was really cool was that the post HTX oh, that, building. That's an awesome project. And yeah. so it's really cool to to see. I saw I was in there right before the Super Bowl, and they kind of got it uh, made ready, right. so to speak, to have so a Put Super Bowl party. It. <laughs> it was definitely lipstick <laughs> on a pig. That's the best way to uh, right. describe what happened there. But what they've done since then to go back now and see it, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. So you still have the kind of that older feel and, and culture, but you know, right. all new uh, insights. So it's very cool to, to see that. And I hope we see more of that, you know, keep that yeah. kind of feel. Um, and the, uh, you mentioned the building envelope. I was, I was having a conversation with a, with a building engineer and, and he was like, you know, if he's like, if they really wanted to make a big difference in this building, they wouldn't have me changing out the little flush valves. They'd put a whole new, envelope around this building <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I was kind of loud. I said, well, look, he, I completely agree with you, but I feel like these sort of goals and measures that are coming in that we're seeing are going to help you justify that Right. to go and say, look, it may not make a hundred percent financial sense, you know, with a straight ROI payback to totally redo the skin on this building. But if you look at these other goals that is going to help you move you towards and look over the total life cycle of the right. cost, then it starts to make more sense. And so, yeah. you know, I think, I think the more that this becomes common practice, we're going to see more and more of those kind of longer, you know, viewpoints that life cycle cost being mm -hmm. more the consideration than upfront price, hopefully, right. uh, things like that. So it's, um, you know, definitely, definitely seeing what, what you're seeing in, in the market as well. Yeah. And if we could get away from these, um, these glass towers and it's just, <laughs> I mean, you, you, in our building, you, you look at it and we have, you know, big, big windows, but we also have a lot of just kind of, you know, wall space, mm -hmm. but we have, you know, 75% of our office is natural light across the building. So it's not it's like impressive. you need to have these huge glass, you know, buildings to provide the daylight and it's just, and, you know, you talk to these guys about the building envelope and the gaskets between the glass starts breaking or starts, you know, compromising. And yeah, it's just like, you it, really need a new. And it's a lot of maintenance. <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of maintenance. So anyway. Very cool. So, I, you know, I'd like to tap into your, your expertise on the energy side here. And uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about it, the, the scope one, two, and three of buildings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this kind of uh, being defined as the you know, the way that a uh, building or a company directly uses energy the way they purchase it and then uh, the way their supply chain does, uh, being those scope one, two, and threes. How how are you, you know, I guess, what is some good ways that a company or, or a building could go about um, impacting each one of those scopes? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, scope one and two are the definitely the, the easiest ones to take sure. on. Scope three is we, we talk with a lot of folks and they're still just trying to figure out, you know, how do I change especially in the manufacturing industry space or in the oil and gas space of how do i you know mitigate those scope three emissions but on, on scope one and scope two i mean you have a lot more control over over that for the most part and that that's going you know for scope two it's you know when you're looking at your new electricity contract you know can you go out and do a physical purchase for a ppa of a solar wind farm um can you consider, you know, more on-site generation, what's the over, overall benefit look like for that? And on the scope, one side of things, it's, it goes, a lot of it goes to just, once again, the energy and water conservation that needs to happen within buildings that is sure. just, that's just lacking um, so far. And, um, you know, we need better, potentially better incentives around that, you know, under, better understanding of participation sure. in different types of utility, energy efficiency programs, the property assessed clean energy pace program. Yep. Those types of funding mechanisms, 
can help make those you know pencil out a little a little better there. And it's good to see kind of growth and pace um, across uh, across Texas to really push to push that along. But yeah, it's just once again there's so much so much work that just can be done if you know if we and a lot of it has to do with making sure that you're building. Um, managers or facility managers or energy managers are appropriately trained. They know what to look for. They have very appropriate incentives in place because you run into issues where, you know, these hot and cold calls and their desire is, I just need to make this person happy. And mm -hmm. so I go and flip the switch and put it into manual and it takes it off, you know, it takes it off the schedule. And then all of a sudden you have this building that's just blown up on you and <laughs> no one's looking to see why it's blown up, you know, except maybe at the end of the month, someone may say, why are we paying more? And, but anyway, having better systems and better training in place to allow people to, you know, reduce overall energy use, which reduces overall emissions within these buildings. And so that's, you know, it's, it's simple, not simple, but it's kind of, it's straightforward. They're just, you've right. got to have the incentives in place to, have people have people to do it and the desire to do that so right no absolutely and and i think the one of the uh, we we talked about it uh, a couple times already but that resiliency or, or that idea of adding more on-site generation and storage of power whether it's through uh solar like you talked about or other ways but that is going to be another way to i feel like incentivize or, or another thing that's going to draw people uh to to do these things on site for that scope too right. um and then you know, that kind of ties into the next thing that I wanted to talk about was, is this not a new idea of energy security, but maybe that it's uh, kind of maybe coming, coming back uh, to top of mind with everything that's going on with, with Russia and Ukraine and how that could impact um, the energy market. How, how do you feel that we can balance the, that need or want for energy security with uh, energy and water security really with these ESG and that zero carbon goals. Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I think, you know, what we're trying to it, it still I think kind of goes. I keep repeating this, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of it. You know, if we want to talk about energy security, you know, a good piece of that is reducing our demand for for energy. Absolutely, so how do we reduce demand for energy, and then the other piece is is making sure we have a diverse portfolio of, of supply that that's coming in. We're not just dependent on, you know, you know, one or two pipelines or one or two sources that are coming into the country. And we do that for, for efficiency purposes, but that also makes your, um, your supply chain or your, you know, the whole, the, yeah, the supply chain, they're really kind of fragile. Mm -hmm. And so you need a diversity of different types of resources that can provide, you know, the, the supply that you need, but ultimately, or, what needs to happen first is really once again reduce that demand as much as you can, and that's what when we talk to people about about you know they want to become you know you know kind of they want want solar plus storage on their building so they can be more resilient and, and such, and have that energy security because they can't you know afford to go down. Um, we, we the first thing we do is so what can we do to reduce your overall energy demand? And once we get that figured out, you can optimize the size of your microgrid whether mm -hmm. that's a combined heat and power system or a combination of combined heat and power, solar and storage. And, you know, and by providing those different resources, if there's an issue with the natural gas, you at least you have some power coming from your battery and your solar storage or vice versa or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, that's one of the, the key pieces is, you know, reducing demand and having a diversity of, of supply sure. associated with that. And um, so I, I think that's, you know, where we need to be, um, need to be, 
yeah, largely focusing. And ultimately, I mean, it sounds like the two are more complementary than than opposing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that the the moving towards reducing demand, having this uh, multi-layer approach to your your supply of energy and water, right. are going to help reduce carbon and uh, meet these ESG goals as well as provide the energy security, right? right? So it's right. not necessarily mutually exclusive or even uh, you, you know at odds with each other. I think like what you're saying is they can be complementary and and work towards the same goal, right? And you see that you know in Germany where they're having where they have the one of the more significant concerns is. Unfortunately, it's kind of emergency measures, but the whole push is reduce the amount of energy you use. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you're a energy efficiency company in Germany, you should be out there just banging down doors and <laughs> saying, all right, we got the solution for you. We can reduce your energy consumption by 20, 30 percent or 40 percent or whatever that number is if you do like a deep energy retrofit. And so, but yeah, it's really kind of overall reducing um, reducing demand. And it's the same thing I was um, um, going through a... I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and one of the main discussions around that was, you know, they're talking about carbon capture, utilization, storage, and such. And um, the, the guy was asking, so when do we bring that in? And they're like, well, we bring that in kind of at the end, after we do material efficiency, circularity, energy efficiency, sure. water finch, all these other pieces that can happen first because they're more cost effective. And then if we need the CCUS piece, and that comes in and picks up the rest of it. And so it's the same thing here. You you do all these other upfront measures that reduce the amount of usage and then you can kind of come in. Yeah. And I, I think it, you know, I think the, for some of the initial reaction to hearing about some of these net zero carbon goals or the ESG policies, are like, oh, it's kind of a burden. You know, I already have to run a building or I already have to run a business and now I have to do all this other stuff. Right. But, you know, I think when you look at it from this perspective, there is uh, the potential for this to be not only um, not a financial burden, but actually financially beneficial. Right. Um, in a couple of ways, one, you, you're gaining efficiency, you're going to be saving more money, um, hopefully operating more efficient right. building from that perspective, but also you're going to be hedging against this risk that I think the financial institutions or green investors are going to be placing on these assets right. that aren't moving in this direction, uh, that aren't keeping up. They're going to be seen as a, as a risk or a devalued asset mm-hmm. and be, you know, kind of lowering the value on right. it. So I think financially it 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 can align in the right direction mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I think so too. Absolutely. So it, the you know, I think the overall kind of theme on this is just that and it's kind of where we want to be like what I was saying earlier is in this idea of this kind of high performance solution or one that right. is going to combine sustainable design reliable, safe, and comfortable operation right. with the lowest life cycle cost. And so I think if we can put it in that lens and say, look, whether or not you're looking for the energy security or to meet these net zero goals or these ESG goals, um, or just straight financial or good building operations, they're all kind of moving in the same direction. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, a lot of it when you're looking at, you know, new construction or, you know, renovation of existing buildings is get your, you know, get your uh, your architect, your MEP, your design firms, get them a little uncomfortable here. Push them a little bit and mm-hmm. say, no, I, this is where we want to go. I know we can do this. I know it's possible. Maybe we can't go this far, but I want to go further than what you're presenting here. So how do we, you know, and th- and that's kind of what we did when we, when we built this building. Fortunately, we had an architect that was, you know, it was Gensler and they were pretty sustainability focused. And we were able to put together a good team of firms that understood 
you know, sustainability and the ESG goals and how mm -hmm. to get there. But we still had to push them in some spots. We still had to say, no, we want to go a little further than that. And we want to see what this would look like. And, and so not just kind of accepting that first kind of proposal and saying how, you know, kind of pushing, pushing a little bit on that. And I, I think as you do that, if more and more organizations do that, you end up with people better understanding how it happens. Uh, people get better, sure. better at doing that. They get more comfortable with it. And so it's more likely that that's kind of what gets proposed in the future and such. And so... Absolutely. I think that's a key, key piece that we need to be kind of thinking about is, you know, push a little bit. Absolutely. So, and, and like you said, I think the more and more this becomes the, the normal conversation, the more right. and more people are going to get uh, comfortable with it and that will move that direction. Right. So, you know, for people that are interested more about kind of what Hark does or how you might be able to help, what, what's, um, a good way for people to get in touch with you or what are some kind of final thoughts or, or uh, ways that you think you can help people in the, the greater Houston area here? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, one of the things we like to do um, is just kind of show people our building and show mm -hmm. people what's possible here. Um, there, there's a lot of different, you know, components and technologies that have come together to build a building that was not much more expensive than a typical kind of commercial office space build. Um, and so we want to kind of just show off those technologies, plus how we kind of manage that, what mm -hmm. systems we use to do that. And so what we what we what we do now is we work a lot with organizations that want to do sustainable facility management plans or climate action plans, or you know look at how do they optimize their um, you know the microgrids or they're looking at microgrids. How can we help them optimize the size and the operation of those mm -hmm. because. In some cases, you end up with, you know, one solution that, you know, it looks really green, but if you really do some analysis of it, it's actually greener if you go, like, with, say, a cogeneration mm -hmm. plus solar plus storage versus just a solar plus storage. You may get resilience benefits as well as economic benefits. And so helping organizations make those types of decisions around what that would, around what that would look like. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're kind of doing now is, you know, how, you know, how do you operate more sustainably sure. and, and what does the steps that you need to take and how do you plan for that? Um, we've also been working with some neighborhoods that are building kind of more sustainable overall kind of subdivisions and such and helping okay. them better understand, um, uh, you know, what are, what are the resilient systems that need to go in place with, or if that's nature-based infrastructure or if that's, you know, your energy systems. And so for this particular organization, we're looking at um, microgrids in the common spaces and looking at different types of bioswell applications and nature-based solution applications. And so that's how we try to really work within the community is mm -hmm. um, really help with kind of the, the the planning and the design of things. We're not engineer. I mean, we're engineers. We're we're not we're not <laughs> implementers. We don't go in gotcha. and build the stuff. We're not the construction company. We're not an architect firm. But we can help really do the kind of think through the planning and the design sure. of it and what it, what it should look like and how it should operate. And we end up doing a lot of third-party review of, of different types of projects and, and things like that as well. So Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I, and I, I will say, if you get a chance to come out and check out the building, it is very cool. I've, I've only uh, I'm kind of halfway through my tour, I would say, at this <laughs> point, but yeah. it's just really impressive, the kind of the thought process that went into the design of the building. Um the the way it was built the in the systems it's that it's using now currently to be right. able to operate uh very cool to see that and even at uh, a scope that you know or a size building that maybe not think about uh be able to implement all these things it's really cool to see uh them right. them live and working right. so uh definitely encourage people to check that out and then 
you know, to, to contact y'all for all the other things that you talk about. Very, uh, very cool Absolutely. things that you're doing. And I uh, definitely appreciate that. Yeah. I think just the other, just real quick thing is that, you yeah. know, geothermal works, you know, we, we run sure. into these people and they're like, Oh, geothermal. I don't know if that works in Houston because of the soil composition. And, but you know, it works. And so it's been a very efficient system. And I think people need to open up their eyes as far as what are the different types of, you know, HVAC systems that are, sure. that are possible. Um, there, you know, and, you know, it may work, it'll work on different scales. So any case. Sure. But yeah. No, fair, fair yeah. enough. So I, Gavin, really appreciate you coming on the show and, and hosting me out here at the Hark facility, uh, and, uh, kind of opening the doors a little bit to, to share what y'all have going on in this building, but also with, uh, your research and, and how it's impacting the community. Great. Well, it's nice talking to you, Tim. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. Well, also want to thank all of you for watching or listening this episode of Building Value and look forward to seeing you on the next one.